You're listening to a CNA podcast. That's what it sounded like in Clinton, Iowa, a week before the crucial Republican caucuses in the state. Behind those chants were hundreds of Americans decked out in Donald Trump hats and shirts, pumping their fists in support of the man they want to see become president again. It's easy to see why they're so eager. Trump is promising a lot. Listen to this promotional clip from his team. The Iowa caucuses marked the official start of the U.S. election season. So what's going to happen between now and November 5th when voters go to the polls? And what does Iowa tell us about the rest of this race? Let's find out with correspondent Nick Harper. Hi, Nick. Hi, Teresa. So you're back in D.C. after covering the Iowa Republican caucuses in the Hawkeye State. And that is really the first step on the path to secure the party's nomination as its candidate for the presidential election. And there was a word that you just could not stop using. It was cold there. Oh, my goodness. I I tell you, it was absolutely freezing. That was the word that I came back to again and again. It was about minus 20 degrees Celsius. If you factor in the wind chill, and I like to talk about that a lot, it was about minus 30. It was incredibly cold. That's criminal. (laughs) I know. Stupidly cold. I took uh, hats, gloves, scarves. I wore about five layers, uh, long johns, thermals, a big coat on top. I was still cold. But it was quite incredible because the big talking point going into the Iowa caucuses was how would this affect turnout? And we found out it was the lowest turnout since the year 2000. Only 15% of Republicans in the state ended up voting which is a bit of an indictment on the weather. It was very cold. The candidates were trying to motivate their supporters to get them out. It kind of worked. Donald Trump had four by four convoys picking up the elderly. I was out at one point speaking to some of his supporters. I was only about out and about for about 20 minutes, but I got icicles on my beard. I have never (laughs) been that cold. Um, But incredibly, speaking to the Iowans, they didn't seem to have so much of a problem with it. It's not normally that cold, But they did say, look, it's winter and we do expect these things. Let's listen to what they had to tell me. What about the weather? Are you worried that it's too cold to get out and vote? No, this is Iowa. We're Iowans. We're we're fine. A little bit of snow doesn't get you down? No, no. like it, actually. It's cold. I don't recommend standing out here, but here we are. Wow, some really brave souls and yourself out there in Iowa. The state, it's relatively small, it's mostly white, and Republican voters there have sent a pretty clear message. Trump is their guy. When you were out and about at the local sports bar, grocery stores, how strongly did their conviction come across? Where does it come from? Yeah, I mean, it's quite incredible. If you look at the numbers, 51% of the state voted for Donald Trump. Iowa is not a big state. There's about 3 million people. About 90% of it is a white population. 
but they have these incredibly conservative values. It has a large Christian evangelical population. Speaking to the people there, those conservative values come through. They often talk about gun rights, freedom of expression. Immigration was a big thing for them as well, and their dislike of migrants coming across the border. But those conservative values just seem to come through. As for Donald Trump, many of them said that he was their man eight years ago and will continue to be their man. He is very central to really the character of the state and to the character of many of the people there. Yeah, and like it or not, Trump's momentum is something we really can't ignore, Nick. Trump has led the polls for more than a year. It took U.S. news networks only half an hour from when Iowa polls opened to project that he was the winner. And many caucus goers were still voting at the time. So what does the Iowa win mean for Trump's bid for a White House return? Yeah, I mean, it was suggested that he was going to get a big win, and he certainly did. But it was really the first real test to find out if all those polls going into this were correct. The first time that any Americans anywhere in the US got a chance to say what they think of Donald Trump, and they overwhelmingly showed their backing. Now, it's not a a largely representative state. As I mentioned, 90% are white. It doesn't have a large Asian or Hispanic or even black Mm -hmm. population. So there is some concern about later states, whether his support will be there to the same margin when we get to some other state contests. And there was also a question going into this, whether all of his legal troubles, remember these court cases that he'll have to face later this year, whether those were big problems that would turn off voters. I had a chance to speak to an analyst in Washington before I went, Hans Knoll. He's an associate professor of government at Georgetown University. What's unusual about this particular situation is that Trump does have all this additional baggage. And so that makes it more incentive for the rest of the party to think, well, we need an alternative. What if something happens? Trump even surprised some people by wooing the suburban vote away from Nikki Haley. Nikki Haley still presenting herself as that alternative to Donald Trump. She says there's too much chaos surrounding him. She says, look back at what happened last time. Look at January the 6th, 2021. Look at what he did as a result of that attack on the Capitol. She therefore wants to appeal to the moderate, more independent voters. She thinks she might be able to do it. Something that some people may find perplexing is the Colorado court drama and where that really fits into all of this. Uh, So last month, the state's top court disqualified Trump from the 2024 ballot. Uh, They said he's not allowed to hold office for a second time because he engaged in insurrection. And of course, we're talking about the storming of the U.S. Capitol on the 6th of January in 2021. Nick, is that ruling going to have any impact? And could other states follow suit as well? Well, the way that it's being described here in the U.S. is that the Supreme Court, where all of this is likely to end up, could decide the outcome of the election. Because here we have the possibility of keeping Donald Trump's name off ballots in various states. That means that when you come to vote in November, his name simply won't be there. You can't vote for him. So uh, there is this challenge in Colorado to keep him off the ballot, the same in Maine. The Supreme Court is going to listen to arguments at the beginning of February for the Colorado decision to try and keep him off of that ballot. If they decide that he should be kept off the ballot, then that will happen and it will likely happen in dozens of other states. But if they side with Donald Trump and they keep him on the ballot, then that would be the decision for the whole of the country. So any other challenge in any other state would be quashed. His name would remain. And I think it's important just to remember the makeup of the Supreme Court. There are nine justices that will hear this and decide. Six of them are conservative-leaning. Three of them are liberal. Indeed, 
three of those six were appointed by Donald Trump. So the thinking is that the Supreme Court is likely to lean towards Donald Trump and now allow his name to be on all of those ballots. I want to talk about Biden now. They say age is just a number, but it's actually a lot more than that when you are the president of the United States. Joe Biden, he is the oldest serving president in American history. He's 81 years old as we speak. And there are some concerns among voters that that can really impact his ability to lead. Is Biden's age being weaponized against him, Nick? How much of a worry is it for the Democratic Party and for the American public? Yeah, it's fascinating, this topic, this issue of age. He's 81, but bear in mind, Donald Trump is 77. And yet it doesn't seem that voters seem to think of Donald Trump as being all that old. Joe Biden is someone who is attacked by conservative media, who is attacked by Donald Trump for being so-called Sleepy Joe, for being weak, for being too old, perhaps even having dementia is the suggestion by some on the right. And when you look at some of the polling, three quarters of Americans feel that Joe Biden is too old to serve again. However, only half of Americans feel that Donald Trump is too old. It just Mm. doesn't seem that age sticks to Donald Trump in the way that it does to Joe Biden. So there is that suggestion of weakness. But I think in, in some respects, there are other issues at play that could cause more of a problem for the incumbent president. In particular, that pro Israel stance that the Democrats and particular Joe Biden has towards the conflict between Israel and Hamas. That's a big problem for the Democrats because many younger, progressive Democrats, who are therefore perhaps more pro-Palestinian, say that they can't vote for Biden again. They don't feel that he's doing enough to uphold human rights. There's been dissent in the White House and in the State Department. There's been resignations. I think some of those global issues are causing more of a problem, especially within his own party. But yes, age and the issue of Israel could certainly weigh on the president ahead of the election. When you speak to American voters, Nick, both Republican and Democrats, are the issues that they care about the same? Do they differ in any surprising way? There's certainly differences. I mean, let's start with the Republicans first. Immigration has always been a big issue. Donald Trump, you may remember, started building the wall along the US-Mexico border. Mm -hmm. That's still resonating today. The feeling that Biden is weak on immigration, letting too many illegal migrants across the border. Also economy. They just feel that Joe Biden has done a terrible job with an economy that perhaps, let's not forget, was during a pandemic and then post-pandemic era. But also Biden is saying that he's doing a good job. But there is a perception gap. Many Americans, both Republicans and Democrats, do not feel better off under Joe Biden. They still feel inflation is too high. Democrats, though, are definitely still motivated by the issue of abortion after that was repealed by the Supreme Court, access to it across the US. It's a motivating factor. It was in the midterms last November. It's likely to be again in the future. So there are differences. But I think what we can see across the board is it's really the the difficulty of the two candidates to motivate their supporters to get engaged in the issues that they feel should be on the ballot in November. If we zoom out a bit and we look more globally, America's diplomatic reach and influence are significant. We can't deny that. How important would you say is this year's election, both presidential and congressional, for the rest of the world? And in particular, what repercussions could there be on this region for us here in Asia? I think we have to talk about China first. Many of the Trump era trade policies are still in place. Biden kept the tariffs in place. 
But I think looking further down the line, it's the issue of Taiwan and what may happen if there are problems in the future, how the two people, Biden versus Trump, may respond. There is a feeling that Donald Trump may respond more aggressively than Joe Biden. So having one rather than the other could create huge challenges, maybe even problems for what happens in Asia. Also, the conflicts, in particular in Ukraine, there'll be a huge difference between Biden and Trump. Trump says he will end the war on day one. He doesn't say how, but the suggestion is that he will force a peace deal through that could give Russia a lot more ground that they've taken during this conflict. Joe Biden wants to continue funding for Ukraine. Republicans say that that money needs to be spent here at home. And it's also a question of what happens between Israel and Hamas. Joe Biden is still pushing for a two-state solution that seems very, very difficult. Donald Trump, he's pro-Israel, but it's unclear exactly what he would do. There are some major things around the world that could be affected greatly by who gets into the White House. Mm -hmm. It's only January now, and between now and November, a lot can happen. There are a few key dates that you and others covering this election have marked on your calendars. Can you tell us about those? Yeah, certainly. Well, I want to talk about the 3rd of February. That is the South Carolina primary. It is the first primary for the Democrats. We've had the Republicans in Iowa, so therefore mm -hmm. it's the first test for Biden to see how much support he has within his own party. He doesn't really have any challenges. There's a couple of people, a representative from Minnesota, Dean Phillips. There's a new age health guru, Marianne Williamson. But they're not really challenging him. They're not getting any big poll numbers. Beyond that, Super Tuesday, the 5th of March, that's massive. There's more than a dozen states who will be holding their state vote on the day. It will have a huge impact. The Republicans, or at least Donald Trump's campaign, feel that after Super Tuesday, it'll be clear that he is therefore the nominee and will be going up against Biden. A little bit further down the line, we've got the conventions in the summer. The Democrats hold theirs after the Republicans. Republicans going first in Milwaukee, then the Democrats in Chicago. That's the formal nomination process where they formally select their candidate, likely to be Biden, likely to be Trump. And then beyond that, there may be three presidential debates in September and October. Donald Trump may not attend all of them. He suggested that he won't. And then November the 5th is the election. I'd like to throw a couple of other dates in there, though. Donald Trump's upcoming trials, the first of them here in Washington, D.C., on March the 4th, the day before Super Tuesday. He is due in court. All of that could get in the way of his campaigning, although, of course, we have seen him turn up to court and campaign at court, saying that not only was it a rigged election in 2020, but now the Democrats are trying to prevent him from re-entering the White House with these legal challenges. An early start to the U.S. election season this year, and there's a lot coming up. Before we go, Nick, I have a simple question for you, but probably doesn't have a very simple answer. Are we going to see a Biden-Trump showdown in 10 months' time? I mean, I think undoubtedly we will. That is the direction that we're heading in. There are a few things in the way that could change things. Those court cases, Donald Trump could still be convicted. He could still end up in jail and he could still become president. There's nothing to stop that but it would make it much harder to perhaps rally his supporters around him. It seems, I think, overwhelmingly likely that Biden will be the nominee and Trump will be the nominee. It's going to be a rematch. It just all comes down to whether it's a different result this time round than it was in 2000. Nick, great job in Iowa, and I'm really looking forward to your reports in the weeks and months to come. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me.
Well, this conversation finishes here for now, but our U.S. election coverage doesn't. We have correspondents on the ground on the campaign trail right until voting day in November and beyond. Be sure to catch up with their stories and CNA correspondent episodes on CNA every Wednesday at 9.30 p.m. Also, find the latest news anytime at cna.asia. The team behind this episode is Saya Wynn, Clara Ong, Crispina Robert, and myself, Teresa Tang. Thanks very much for listening.